This is day 211 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 5. Lord God, as we enter into your word, please show us the truth of what our condition is. We are so depraved in our natural state, Lord. We're so sinful. We contribute nothing good to our salvation. And we, in our natural state, will never select you, Lord. We'll never seek you. We'll never love you. But only when you change us are we able to do this. This world is so dark and so depraved. And Lord, we are living in the midst of it. And Lord, show us what we need to do with these people, the people that you have made in your image and that we are called to love. Show us how to love each other and how to love our enemies. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of the descendant of David according to the flesh who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called to saints, Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request. If perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greek and to barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God 
made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they know God, they do not honor him as God, or give thanks, but they have become futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They do not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of man through Christ Jesus. But if you bear the name Jew, and rely upon the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged.
But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come? Their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. 
What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sin has been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness may be credited to him. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world, was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited 
as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned, in the likeness of the offense of Adam who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on one hand, The judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. 
the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Didn't I tell you that I was going to love reading the book of Romans? I loved every second of it. It is so refreshing to read once again. There's a lot to process here. The entire book of Romans, you could take whole sermons out of each verse. So as usual, I am at a loss of what exactly to talk about. So I'm not going to go too deep into things for the sake of time and I don't know where your spiritual maturity level is, but we will definitely talk about a few things in here that we must understand. Romans chapter 1, besides the greeting that is at the beginning, is a diagnosis as to why this world is so screwed up. But before he goes into the diagnosis of the world, he, in verse 16, declares the theme of why he's writing this. He says he is not ashamed of the gospel, that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God, and is revealed from faith to faith. He's showing us here that there is three different facets of salvation. There's past salvation, present salvation, and future salvation. The past salvation from the penalties of our sin, present salvation from the power of sin in our daily lives, and future salvation for the actual presence of sin. This salvation that we so love to share is that of one who believes. We receive and experience it through faith, which is both through the truth of the gospel, and it is also a genuine confidence in the Savior himself which is also a gift from God. We would not be able to have that love and affection for our Savior unless it had been given to us from above. And then we have a very powerful section of Scripture from verse 18 through halfway through chapter 2 that describes the condition of the world. So Paul makes it very clear why people are so messed up right now why this world seems to get darker and darker, and why people are the way they are. And for all the sin that is in the world, God only has one response, and that is wrath. There is going to be wrath at the end for all who are in sin and who are practicing these very things. And what's crazy is that, according to Paul, that people are suppressing the truth that is so clear and evident in the world. There is no denying, if you look at the intricacies of this world, everything that happens, how it happened, all the minor details that just fascinate us with how the world and the universe works, what other reason could there be except that there's a God? And yet there's people that continue to tell themselves that there is no God. Isn't that what it says in the Psalms? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and that's exactly what's wrong. God has made it very clear through his creation alone who he is. 
You don't even have to see who he is to know that this was made by an intelligent design and that there is a God who is still active in the universe, performing supernatural things, and that he is the origin of all things. This planet was not just something that was created by accident in some sort of big bang, or that it took 7 billion years for the planet to reach the state it's currently in, or that somehow lightning struck some pond scum on a rock, seven billion years ago, and it turned into bacteria. And then bacteria turned into living creatures and more complex. And then they got bigger and bigger until we have monkeys turning into humans. You see how ridiculous all that sounds? And yet, as ridiculous as those things are, they'll believe that. But they won't believe that there is an intelligent designer who is above our understanding? You see how ridiculous that is? You cannot explain those things, but you can definitely explain God. There is a reasonable defense for the evidence of God. And it's clear in creation. So that's why Paul says they are without excuse. There is no excuse for you to not believe that there is a God. They knew that God exists but they choose not to honor him or to give him thanks. So they have become futile in their speculations. They have become useless, pointless in the things that they think about. Their foolish heart becomes darkened, and they profess to be wise, but they have become fools because they have exchanged God for something that was created. That's idolatry. So God, in some cases, if they love that stuff so much, God will let them have it. Not only out of his own grace, but he's like, well, you're obviously not going to love me, and so you want this so badly? Here it is. See if it makes you happy. It won't. See if this makes you content. No, it won't. Why? Because they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They have chosen to worship the creature rather than the creator. They are lying to themselves, but also, unfortunately, there are people in prominent places of power that influence you to believe lies. You want to know a couple of big lies right now? The government is your friend. Climate change. Reproductive rights. Transgenderism. You want to keep going? There are so many lies that are being fed to us every single day that demons are trying to flood our emotions and our thoughts with so that we would become brainwashed and be controlled. Now, I'm turning into a government conspiracy theorist, right? No, I'm not. I've had that argument with somebody before, Ryan. You need to keep political things outside of the church, outside of the Bible. Some things are political, and those things do need to be kept out of the Bible. For example, the American Second Amendment, the right to carry a firearm. That has nothing to do with the Bible, so I'm not going to talk about that. But when we talk about the sanctity of life, we talk about there are only male and female, things like that, that is completely biblical, and it is not a political thing. 
It would be wrong and sinful for a Christian to say nothing about that if it is presented to you. By your silence, you are saying it's okay, and you do not want to be a tolerant Christian. God is very intolerant of sin, and so we also need to be intolerant of it as well. Not to the point of hating people, let me be clear. Our problem is not with humans. Humans are flawed. Humans sin. Humans make mistakes. But we were all made in God's image, and we were not to hate each other for any physical reason. We can hate the sin, but we don't hate the person. We don't have the room to judge people either, which is what you see at the beginning of chapter 2. We do not have the power to pass judgment because we do the same exact things we accuse people of every single time. Well, that person cheated on his wife. Okay, but how often in your life have you ever committed adultery? Had a stray thought lusting after somebody? How many times have you looked at pornography? How many times have you been upset with your spouse or your girlfriend and thought about another person? You see, you're no different than them. You may think that you're better, but you're not. Because according to God, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt from having to be reconciled to God. None of us are exempt from having to be accountable to God. We are all eligible for repentance, some more than others, no doubt. But we are all in the same boat together. Some worse than others, but it's still the same boat. And if you want to see what it looks like for the world to have its fruit, because we'll see later on that there is something called the fruit of the Spirit, signs, evidences of the Holy Spirit within you. What are the signs if you do not have the Holy Spirit within you? They're right here in verse 28. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do these things which are not proper. What is not proper? What does God say is not proper that he hates? Unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossiping, slanderers, hating God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, even that, yes, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval and encourage those who do it. It says that they know the ordinance of God. Is that true? It has to be, right? Because God said it, therefore it has to be true. But how do they know it? Well, I mean, people know the difference between right and wrong, even if you are not saved. You know when something's right. You know when something is wrong. Try that with somebody who tries to argue against Christianity. For example, an atheist. You try to show them, well, there is no God, so therefore there's no morality. We do as we please. I am autonomous. Then you say something ridiculous like, okay, Well, tell me where your address is, because I want 
to identify as someone who is going to go to your house and shoot your family. Why? Why would you do that? Because that's what I want to do. That is wrong. Oh, so now it's wrong. And who decided it was wrong? You said there was no morality. You see, it immediately turns it on its head. The argument is so weak, but people believe in such weak things. It's really sad. That's what we're up against. This is the world around us that lives this every single day. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I wonder how I went on as long as I did not being a Christian. And now that I'm aware and sober-minded with the reality of our situation, it is sad to see how people go through this life every single day without hope. They don't have the hope of Christ. That's why what we do is so important as Christians, to be the feet and the mouth and the hands of the gospel. You don't save people, but you are the instrument that will bring people to salvation. These people need it because this is their state. They're so lost. Without God, we would be too. And we need to understand that we didn't do anything to earn this. We didn't do anything to deserve this. You didn't just win some sort of lottery. This was by design. It was by divine design for you to be saved. Because it's not even for you. He is not doing any of this for you. Everything he does is for his glory. It's not about you. He didn't save you because he likes you better than some people. It says very clearly in verse 11 of chapter 2, there is no partiality with God. He doesn't pick favorites. Does election look like favoritism? Yeah, it does, and that's a whole different topic. But he chooses whom he wants to show grace to. But ultimately, everyone is accountable to God. Nobody's above the law. We have to understand that. Second half of chapter 2, he talks about how the law of God cannot be kept. And people say that the law is required, as well as circumcision is required to be saved, but yet the Jewish people did not keep their own law. And circumcision is a physical thing when God is a spiritual being. So obviously the flesh profits nothing, but the spirit profits everything, right? So that's what he's trying to show is that, guys, circumcision is nothing. It is a physical sign of something that Abraham did before he was even circumcised. And he gets into that later on. Then in chapter 3, he appeals to the Jews about not only circumcision yet again, but also appealing to them about how they did not believe in the promises of God. And that's why they missed Jesus Christ as well. And then he shows them that all people are condemned by sin because everyone sins. And that has been the case since the Garden of Eden. No one is exempt from this except Jesus Christ. He alone is the only human being that has never experienced sin and does not live in a sinful nature because he is divine as well. So he did that intentionally in order for us to be saved through him. 
Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But yet, in verse 24, it says that we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Your salvation was a gift. It was not a merit. It was not a reward. It was a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He gave it to you freely. And it was by his grace. Grace being undeserved favor. You didn't deserve it. And this redemption is through Jesus Christ. And this redemption is that understanding like a transaction, right? So you have, say, for example, a coupon to go to a store and buy something, save $2 on it. That is a coupon. You're going to redeem that coupon. You're going to use it to pay something. And so in this case, the redemption is that God sent his son to die on the cross to save you from your sin, to purchase you. And so he purchased you from what? He purchased you from the sinful nature that you live in. He purchased you from hell. He purchased you from the kingdom of Satan. He purchased you out of the world. And now you are his. He owns you now. He is your new master, and you are his slave. That's how it works. So then in chapter 4, he shows that Abraham believed God, and that was what was credited to him as righteousness, faith. Faith alone is what caused Abraham to be a child of God. And in the same way, that happens with us today. So it wasn't the circumcision that did it, because God declared that he was righteous before his circumcision. It wasn't because he performed any works. It was the faith that he had that gave him salvation. Now, he may not have been able to understand physically how all this stuff was possible in his old age, being able to have children, he and his wife, but he believed God that he could do it. He didn't understand in his natural state, but he knew that God was the God of the impossible and that nothing was too hard for him. And so he knew that God was capable of doing it, and he had faith in whatever God could do. That is what caused his justification. That is what caused him to be satisfactory in the sight of God. In the same way that Jesus is described as a propitiation, a satisfactory substitute for something or someone. In, that, in this case, he was our satisfactory substitute before the Father. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin, and God accepted his offer. God accepted his sacrifice, and his wrath was satisfied on those who belong to God forever. Beautiful that is, right? And then in chapter 5, if we are like Abraham and we believe in God, and through that belief we have attained righteousness through Jesus Christ, then we're justified. And through this justification, we have perhaps the greatest gift, peace with God. Because before we were saved, 
We were at war with God. We are literally his enemies, according to the Bible. We are hostile toward God, and we are enemies of his if we live in sin. But now he has called us to be his friends, and we now have direct access to him through Jesus Christ. There was no coincidence when he died that the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. He was the conduit. He is the advocate. He is the mediator between us and God. We have direct access to the throne of grace anytime we ask, if we believe. How fantastic that is, if we even have a small understanding of what that means. And I think with that, that's a good place to end it for today. We still have much more to go through in the book of Romans, and I'm excited to do it. Romans chapter 8 in particular is considered to be the greatest chapter in the greatest book of the Bible. That is obviously up for interpretation, but that is what we are going to go through tomorrow. For now, that's all that I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.